in a world where lies are told so often they become a nightmare truth, where the interests of the ruling class inform our own false dreams. One gray bear and one white lady scream to shake you from your slumber. He is Knackers. She's the Vag. Together, they'll demolish the state and your heart. Knackers and the Vag. By very mediocre demand, we're back. The bear and me and more buoyant than ever. Um, yes, woman and portable plush toy oppressor, prepare for Marxism 2018. Oh my heavens, yet to decide what to wear, what to say. Comrades, future comrades, people who would just hate listening, folks who got here accidentally. Um, if any of you are present on the landmass called Australia by its bloody conquerors, why not pop along to Marxism 2018 this Easter weekend, you know, cram a hot cross bun in your face um, and be led to an unholy discussion. So at least if you want to sort of say terrible things uh, about what you will doubtless regard as the, the crumbling 19th century foundation of Marxist thought, you can say it in an educated way. Oh, actually, no, fuck you, don't come. I want to be in a safe space. Oh, gosh, if you think a Marxism conference is a safe space, I had a blue with the Socialist Workers' Party once. It was about the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. And anyway, perhaps a lovely reminiscence for a future episode. Right now, however, she said in the kind of meaningless segue she was tutored in years ago, um, you can go to Marxism Conference. Dot org. That is marxismconference.org for a bit of a perb uh, or for details. And uh, then on Saturday morning at the Victorian College of the Arts here in Melbourne, uh, Knackers, that is my little bear oppressor, and ma, moi, the vag, will take a break from our high energy and truly optimistic podcasting duties to appear in person and in bear where we shall be hosted by Comrade Rose Ward, our guest on Knackers and the Badge today, today, today. Um, and, you know, stay tuned if you'd like to win a luxury vacation away from the coercion of capitalism, which is to say we'll be giving away a pass to Marxism 2018 to one lucky holiday dissenter. <laughs> just love that this is really the first and and almost certainly the last giveaway um, to a long weekend of socialists arguing with each other. But then again, habits do die hard for a lady like me, a former FM breakfast radio jock, Ros Ward Vilcommon. Oh, thank you very much. Get nice and close to your microphone, darling. Okay, just, yep, yep, you know. Yep. Uh, proceed toward your microphone um, as though it is the corporate phallus that I know you long to relieve <laughs> with those ruby red lips of yours. No, actually, that's not true. Perhaps you've heard of Roz. I've certainly heard of Roz. And Roz and I have recently drunk some beers together, haven't we? Oh, we have, yes. Why have we been drinking beers together? Um, I think probably in preparation for the corporate phallus. 
Um, but I'm just, I'm just saying, like, how did we meet? How did we meet? Um, we met because I think uh, we were talking about your potential soon-to-be-realised appearance um, at the Marxism conference. Marxism 2018 is all the rage with the kids. We're broadcasting from an outer suburb in Melbourne, Australia. That's at the very bottom end of the big arid land mass. Stolen violently 230 years ago in some weeks from the present date. Um, Ros and I, I actually met at Trades Hall, um, appropriately enough. We were making fun of liberals. Oh, we um, were. And now she's got me to her conference. It's, well, the Conference of a Collective Marxism 2018. And you've sold how many tickets? We've sold. Uh, just this week we've hit 800 tickets. Oh, far out. Yeah. Seriously, is that your best year ever? It's really, really, really good. Yeah, I think it could end up being our best year ever. So you were sending me um, an email the other day about the Socialist Youth, the Socialist Youth of America. I mean, certainly, you know, I wrote a a, a book um, intended for youngsters. I mean, not that you're exactly an old person yourself. I mean, you're just a a mid-30s girl about town, Um, uh, a mere babe really compared to, you know, old menopause here. Um, But... You know, certainly the people that were um, contacting me privately about, you know, there was sort of like you, you're writing about this socialism shit, what is it, explain it to me, give me some reading, and then several of them were, why can't you write a really long article about it? And it's certainly been my, my it's my anecdota, it's my personal experience that most of the people who are interested in engaging in, in engaging with the idea of a, of a different form of organisation to the one that we have are... Uh, Pretty young, and have you guys found that with the uh, with Marxism twenty eighteen? Like, do you know if it's if it's kids buying the tickets? And you know, more to the point, you sent me an email the other day about like there's this this cute thing about America that I think you're you're from the UK, yeah, um, but you understand Australia reasonably well, and yeah. our cultures are similar in that um, you know, our culture is a lot like sort of British working class culture in that we you know, think anybody who shows any enthusiasm is a bit of a douche, whereas um, the American way is to be quite enthusiastic, um, involved. Um, They even sort of systematise these things. I believe you don't get into a good college unless you've got a record of good works or your your parents have an immense amount of money, preferably both. So I understand that it's the American tradition to join a political party quite young but the kids are joining – you sent me this shit the other day. It was great. The kids are joining the DSA. Yeah. The Democratic Socialists of America, yeah, have got um, now a number of chapters in high schools in America. I'm not sure it is totally true that Americans join political parties. Oh, no, no, but no. But they, they, they join, do. They're joiners of activities. I'm yeah. not sure if it's parties. Oh, well, you can't I mean, really it, be a member of the Democrats No, no. Well, uh, officially. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can only be registered, right? But yeah. they have – Young Democrats and young Republicans. Yeah, it's pretty loose. So they, but they, but they do declare their preferences early on. I understand. I don't know. I've the place frightens me, frankly. Yeah, I'd, uh, yeah. I think the the, the uh, enthusiasm is definitely right, though. The young Americans. So, but now, thankfully, the thing they're enthusiastic seems to be socialism. Yeah. No, I've changed my view. Actually, I have been there a few times I'm I'm, perhaps you have in the course of of work or study as well yeah once or twice to the USA yeah and um it's you know it's a hegemon go we're a bit funny about it you know but I mean the people there are quite extraordinary and while once I was quite 
you know, um, over the American traditions of and and look, you guys, if you're listening, it's not your fault at all. It's just that all of your, you know, cultural traditions um, are exported um, along with your global primacy. And if you grow up sort of feeling some kind of like compulsion to take on a culture that's not yours, you might have a thing or two to say about it, right? You know, I mean, yeah. there's a certain resentment. I'm thinking Indigenous Australians, but well, yeah. <laughs> I was going to get to that. I mean, my Burn you know, ex- my experience of just, you know, oh, my gosh, there's too many American sitcoms is really nothing compared not, to. Not, not too uh, much in, of a hardship. Invasion and theft of land and, and yeah. but, you know. You Do know, you know what you should look at if you want to be re-inspired um, about ordinary Americans is the bloody West Virginia teachers strike. Oh shit, it's amazing. Oh my god. You just gotta watch the videos of them on YouTube, on Facebook of the chanting and the singing. I've never heard a better rendition of Country Road Take Me Home than the one from the bloody uh governor's house or whatever it is, the parliament in, in West Virginia. But I mean, you know, if anything that the the sort of, you know, what some people are calling, you know, the end of empire, the end of the US hegemon and I think there are a lot of people, both conservative and and quite Marxist, who, and a lot of Americans themselves, um, who believe that you know the empire is on the decline, the 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 eagle is beginning to to land, and it will not <laughs> ascend again. Like this is you know this is a global yeah. view, and it's the view that a lot of the feathers are falling off. Greetings. As an American eagle, I feel it is my duty to say a few words about the glories of industry and technology. There are those among us who would silence our factories, shut down our mills, and grind our highways to a halt. Yea, verily, today the very fiber of our industrialization is under attack from a small, subversive group. Oh, fuck, I love Marxists. I love their pessimism. I love their grand theory. And that's why I'll be going to Marxism 2018 um, where, gosh, we better do a better job of talking. I better do a better job of listening because you and I are, in fact, talking together. Yeah. um, On the, what is it, Easter Saturday? Uh, yeah, yeah. 11.30 is our session on the Saturday. I guess we don't have that many tickets left to Marxism 2018, do we? You better get one if you want one, yeah. Can we do a giveaway? <laughs> Radio style? <laughs> How, do people phone in for a podcast? Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm disinclined to give out my mobile um, telephone number freely on the internet. But we could we could definitely do a giveaway to a, a lucky listener. Yes. How? Yeah. Should we give can them we, a question? Can we? Um, no, I, I prefer more the creative response thing. Okay, so thing 100 words to say why you love. 25 what? words is fine. 25 words on. I just, um, <laughs> 25 words on. All right, so, um, yes, so this program, Knackers in the Vag, borrows heavily from the FM breakfast radio style in which I learned my trade. As such, Ms. Ros Ward, or Comrade Ward as I like to know her well, um, and I will be speaking at Marxism 2018, and the socialist alternative are offering a what kind of ticket for one lucky listener? <laughs> one lucky listener can win today a full weekend ticket 
for the Marxism Conference, which includes opening night, Collingwood Town Hall on Thursday, and the full Easter weekend of Marxist joy. And there's so many workshops. I'm personally – There's 110 sessions. Fuck off. I mean, my God. You can't go to them all, but – Any way you – you know, sort of any Marxist peccadillo you have – um, yeah. If for the uh, for the advanced Marxist can can probably be assuaged in some ways, but more importantly, there um, is a great attention. There are a lot of people who who are curious about um, the work and the interpretations of of, of Marx and Engels. Yeah. Um, a lot of new people coming, so a lot um, of the discussions. Um, there's a lot of Marx curious, very Marx curious, and there's a one hundred and one stream. For um, those folks, so there's a totally there's a there's one a whole stream that runs through the whole conference of uh, Marxism 101, which is all the basic kind of constructs of Marxism. And I'm pretty much why just, do we bang on about the working class? You know, mm. what about the Russian Revolution? All of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that would be interesting to talk about, actually. Like, why do we bang on about the working class? Um, I thought that that was something that you and I might actually talk about at Marxism 2018, which is on. Um, uh, Spoiler the, alert. <laughs> uh, pardon. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Well, if we're you know, going to talk about it. I don't know. You can email me and tell me. Um, you Also, get the email down. It's Helen, H-E-L-E-N, at Bad Hostess. That's like a lady who's bad at giving a party.com. So Helen at Bad Hostess, uh, dot com, uh, the socialist alternative, um, uh, an organisation well known for its top draw marketing worldwide. Coca-Cola Amateur asked them for tips. Um, actually, Good work on getting the word out for Marxism 2018. Um, I didn't just call you. Um, I, I, I called. I called you socialist alternative. I haven't called you by some some terrible name. No, you're name. correct. Yes. Yes. Not the Judean People's Front or anything like no, that. No, um, certainly not the People's Front of Judea. Oh, not the never. What scum? <laughs> not <laughs> as if. Um, yes, it's true. All Marxists have to take um, at least a beginner's course in Monty Python. Um, no, that's not actually true. It's just um, a coincidence. So Helen at badhostess.com. 25 words on. I don't, I don't know, just a creative response to why you'd like to go. Like, you know, we both know that there are, there are tens of people listening probably over an annual period, so I'll just basically be grateful for any fucking any email. Um, so Helen at badhostess.com, um, email me, put um, in the subject line, I I heart violent revolution. No, I'm joking. Um, just put in, I don't, I'm not that busy and important that I get so many emails that I'll, I'll absolutely miss yours. Uh, send me an email, Helen at badhostess.com and um, I don't know, look, this one works in education, so she probably wants to set you some fucking task. No, I'm I'm anti-homework. Yeah, good, good. Uh, I don't don't know, but then again, some of you quite like structure um, and we're not being prefigurative anarchists here, so uh, ask a question. 25 words or less on the transformation problem. No, I'm joking. <laughs> on the tendency of the rate of profit to oh, far decline. Out. I'm sorry. The tendency of the rate of profit to fall. I'm going to. Um, no, don't ask me about that. No, 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 no. It's an equation. You know, you have to understand an equation. It's it's difficult. Don't worry about that shit. Um, it's not important. That's not in the 101 stream. It's not in the 101 stream. Um, no, what question will we ask? I don't know what you have to email me. Send me a dick pic or a titty pic with a hammer and sickle on it. I don't care. Uh, you don't know. You don't actually have to prove your worth 
perhaps just tell me um, in an amusing way or a serious way or both what you believe is wrong with the status quo and um, the one that makes me laugh, cry or think the most. We all know we're just going to get one really, don't what we? A, yeah. What about the worst thing about capitalism? So that's a bit boring. The worst thing about now this is an interesting. <laughs> no, this could be yeah. We could get somewhere with that. Um, I think the that fact was, that you have to have a girl biro marketed to you by. Bic. Do you really think that that's the worst <laughs> thing about capitalism? No, do, no, that, do, that do, makes me sound a little bit. Do flippant. you really think that his and hers tales are the worst thing about capitalism? I would go with burn it to the ground. I would, I would really go with the devastation and theft of entire land masses and cultures. That's I'm going to go with that. What about you? All right, but I win. <laughs> so fucking win. Have you seen the ocean of plastic? There's, like, Aust- there's there's enough plastic in the world to cover the biggest land mass country, something like that. How about that? You've you've really been finessing those statistics, haven't you? No, yes, I did. Yeah. Well, that's I, important. I, I did see the plastic in the water. Oh, oh, God, right. do we? Yeah, um, okay, okay, so so um, very quickly, and in indeed twenty five words or less, explain the link between um, uh, the devastation of the material world and capitalism. Surely capitalists aren't responsible for this. Aren't they nice guys who just want to all be like Elon Musk? Mm. Oh, my God, you're telling me to be, like, gender-specific about who owns the world? Well, I just want to make the point that there's a female capitalist. Yeah, women can be vile too. Point well made. Okay, so why is capitalism destroying the world? The material world, yes. The material world? Because it's a system driven entirely by profit making mm-hmm. and the exploitation of human beings who labour for a wage and driven by the competition between capitalists for the accumulation of said profit and therefore any devastation that's wreaked along the way to human beings or otherwise on the material world is just a necessary byproduct that none of them at the top give a flying fuck about. Oh my God, you swore. Yeah. How, how devastating. You could expect more swear words when we appear together. Somehow it's Ooh, legal yeah. um, in the same room. Um, Easter long weekend, Saturday morning, I think about 11. 11.30, yep. I haven't decided on the outfit yet. Email. Bring a placard if you've got like a, um, a special number that you want us to perform. I don't give a shit about placards. I'm legally blind. I'd thank you to well, remember. Well, I can read it out for you. And acknowledge, comrade, I won't be able to see it. But I don't know, you know. Email me, Helen at badhostess.com or, or whatever, whatever. Might be flogging the book there, might not. Who knows? It depends on whether somebody's um, remembered. But I, I actually, you know, enough of all of that relentless plugging. You can get a fucking buy my book, fucking come to Marxism 2018. I mean, seriously, come to Marxism 2018. I think uh, while the internet affords me and so many other people access to things um, that we may not have otherwise seen, and I'm sure you know um, the free resources if you are Marx curious. Um, uh, Marxists.org is um, a great collation of of papers. Classics, yeah, yeah, real classics. You can get all of Capital there and what what have you. What is to be done? Um, by do Lenin? you like do you like a little bit of Lenin? I love a bit of Lenin. Hey, Lenin, fucking right, that bastard. Couldn't he write? Really good. And Trotsky, I think, is marginally oh, tr- better. You know what? As a writer. All right, I like the idea of Trotsky more and let's face it, he was more photogenic 
and um, also had more of a commitment to a dictatorship of the proletariat by the proletariat. Like, good. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's an arm and like, and, like, maybe snogged Frida Kahlo once, also good. I think Lenin's the better writer. Oh, interesting. Mm. Have you read Trotsky's History of the Russian Revolution? Not all of it, no. I fell asleep. No, it did not fall asleep. I did fall asleep. I was tired. I okay, worked hard. Okay, but that's not because – don't blame Trotsky on that. I'm a um, – no, 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 no. No, I just – I really think that Lenin is um, quite a good writer. Do you like Marx's writing as well? I think Marx is actually – Marx's writing is fucking awesome. Beautiful. Are you insane? Metaphors and – no, the guys, I yeah. mean, you know, Marx, um, his Even first- Even in translation. Right? His first paid gig, I mean, and there's, there's many translations and I'm led to understand that the translations end up being quite faithful. Yeah. Um, and I think that the people on Marxists.org actually take care to do that. Yeah. Um, I And, you know, there's like long arguments that people have had for generations about like how to translate certain certain words, yeah. like even the first- line of the of the famous the most famous um marx text which is the the manifesto of the communist party yeah um like um, i think that the first translation was there is a hobgoblin <laughs> haunting europe it is the hobgoblin yeah. of communism and so now it's a specter and there is yeah. a bogeyman yeah, yeah 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 um no fucking right like um the guy could write his first gig was as a journalist yeah um i think he kept being kept trying to be a journalist to pay for life while writing the other stuff yeah, I mean, and there's something about the life of being Borrow a Borrow a bit of money off angles. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, um, you know, something about or get, you know, Jenny to go back home and get some money Bag from the parents. Bag off the rich rallies. While you're banging. See how Australian. While you're banging the housekeeper, um, et cetera, et cetera. No one said that Marx was perfect, but shit, Guy could write and Guy had some good ideas. Yeah. A lot of it's very, um, you know, alienating like labour. And fucking volume two, I don't think I will ever read that thing. I do not think I can ever get through volume two of, of, of Capital. Um, you probably have because you're so a proper. So did, you, did you skip to volume three? Mm-hmm. Okay. I understand this is a huge problem, but I'm not going to read all those numbers. I just fall asleep. You know, I read a bit of it and I got reliable accounts from grown-ups. Yeah. But, I mean, seriously. It's I, think you're, I think you can still qualify. I mean, it's long. It's really long and it's full of numbers. Yeah. But the bits, um, no, I mean, absolutely um, Marx writes well. Yeah. Um, and he adopts consciously different tones. So he's got that skill of the reporter. Yeah. Like at times his uh, tone is urgent. Um, at other times it's quite dramatic and you particularly see this in the, in the Communist Manifesto. Yeah. I mean, this is not the most important thing about Marx, but I mean, the good thing that you can do is that there's a lot of audiobooks well, just, yeah, and freely I think available. It, I think it matters to some extent because a lot of people think they know about Marxism and they've never tried to read any actual Marx. And a lot of academics are actually in this category, having been yeah. around academics for a while okay. talking about Marxism, that people say, oh, you know, Marxism is blah, blah, blah. And you say, which, which works of Marx have you read? And they've read nothing. Okay. So yeah. I just think that understanding that reading Marx is possible and it's actually quite enjoyable and he's a good writer. And yeah. the same with Trotsky and Lenin and Luxembourg, I mean, amazing, that people should dive, yeah, Rose's, in, Rose's dive into the actual real, like, Marx, Marx. Okay, I mean, but, you know, you may not be in the habit of reading. After re- the Helen Razor Marx. Yeah, but you may not be in the habit of reading often. 
you may not have um, the Communist Manifesto is pretty. You may not have the time short. to do it. Um, you can um, do, go to Marxists.org. Yeah, you don't need to pay um, for it. And then there's other resources like the Gutenberg um, archive, which you can get. You know, any work of literature written in English generally or translated into English that is out of copyright. That's another place you can go. There's a lot of free texts. You can get them in ebook form, so you can read yep. them on your um, smart device if you have such a thing or your or your PC. I'm assuming you do or you have access to one because there's no other way to listen to my somewhat and her somewhat, Roswards somewhat inebriated blather. Remember that um, Ros and I come from, um, we have quite close beliefs, some differences of course because everybody does uh, and she is much more of a scholarly Marxist and, and generally more scholarly in her approach I'm a cheap and nasty person and you're a person um, who has chosen a, a, a life um, and an activism of more depth, I think we could say. I churn out quick things for a broad audience. I try to know what these are but I've always worked in um, in popular media. Yep. You know, I mean never academic journals or anything like that. I don't belong in that world. I don't have the patience. I possibly don't have the intelligence. Certainly not the patience. You were supposed to say at this point, oh, but Helen, come on. Oh, that's not true. Helen. So uncomfortable. If you wanted to be an academic, yeah, go um, right ahead. Nobody would read what you write. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, that's part of the um, But, you know, deal. I do understand, um, especially as I work, you know, I'm doing the old-fashioned thing that people used to call piecework, which is yeah. really unfolding now. It's like it's what Uber drivers do. Like you do a job and somebody pays for for it. Like yeah. you do a certain amount of ironing and you you get paid for it. A lot of us work. I did that, yeah. Um, yeah, increasingly like that. You don't get paid by the hour. You don't get a salary. You get paid for what you do. As a result, I do understand how difficult it is to find time to read extra curricular material. I mean, especially for me because my work actually involves reading and yeah. sometimes the last thing I want to do is fucking read. Yeah. And I, but I totally understand your recommendation. Like, why not read a bit of Marx? He is actually quite entertaining. Yeah. The other thing you can do, of course, is um, the audio book. But I would just say, like, ease yourself into it if you're interested. It's oh, not. Yeah. It's, I, it's it's like I, you don't have to read to be a fucking good person. And real life interactions, such as we will have at at Marxism 2018, yeah. is a really important thing. And we some have people, some audio highlights on the Marxism. Conference website yep. now of talks from previous years to give you an idea. Um, and and mercifully, we are many is a good site, uh, an American site with Marxist socialist talks on it. Um, videos. YouTube is 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 rich yep. with material too. I mean, I would say I I don't know if you would concur. Um, Avoid the Stalinists and the tankies, but yeah, there's not that many of them. But I would say that the the American. Um, Marxist economist that you will often see in American news, um, Richard D. Wolff, provides a fairly entertaining introduction to largely Marxist e economic theory. Would Would you not agree? You don't like Richard D. Wolff? Um, I think some of it is useful. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he really engages large numbers of people. Like it's yeah. like, okay, like I don't agree with everything that Bernie Sanders says. I don't even sometimes agree with what I say the day after. <laughs> um, I'm sure when you fuck off on your bicycle, I'll say I don't agree with everything she says. I seem to at the time. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, th th that's fine. But, I mean, there are those who can at least sort of excite your curiosity and lead you to a way of, of, of actually just thinking, of thinking 
in a fairly liberated way and looking at everything that you see around you and trying to trying to make sense of it. Like I talk to Americans and, you know, Australians and, and people also from um, non-English speaking nation states and Bernie Sanders fucking spoke to them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, he- I'm, I'm not denying that. I think I was... The bursting of the Bernie um, phenomena onto the scene has been an amazing thing for socialist politics, for people to be talking about it, for people to just be thinking about even, you know, the phrase of the Occupy movement of we are the 99%, who are the 1%, what the fuck, like all of that stuff is really useful. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, that phrase came from an economist that I regard as as very moderate, you know, like it came from Joseph Stiglitz, another guy that you can watch on YouTube or download podcasts. He's a frequent speaker. You might find you don't agree with- I didn't with, know that. He came up with, we are the 99. There's a 99. Okay, the really weird thing about the whole Occupy slogan. Yeah. So it comes from like a former bigwig at the World Bank. Yeah. Joseph Stiglitz, who's a- Nobel laureate for economics, but, you know, fucking you just I think there's a lucky dip there. I mean, fucking Paul Krugman got one, didn't he? Mm. he I can't remember what he got. There's one. a lot dodgy with the Nobel stitch. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if you learn, if you take anything from us today, take this phrase, there's a lot dodgy with the Nobel stitch. Um, so, you Obama know, won a peace prize. Okay, so. Aung so, San Suu Kyi, like, oh, honestly. Oh, uh, my God. Genocide was, much? I've just, I've just, it's genocide <laughs> I mean, but seriously, I mean, I've, I've, I was always a bit sus on her. Yeah, same. Uh, and I take no pleasure in saying that. No. And I mean, sh- shit. But anyway, um, uh, so so Stiglitz. Stiglitz, right? So he's a guy who used to work for the World Bank. And in future episodes, maybe you'll come back and talk to me. Uh, maybe my friend Frank will come back and talk to me. Mr. Eddie Perfect's coming around soon and he's come and talked. Maybe Eddie knows something about the World Bank. He spends a lot of time in America. Perhaps he does. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll read more about the World Bank. The World Bank is a really interesting organisation. Yeah. They are purportedly in the business of giving zero interest loans to truly impoverished countries um, to improve them. Joseph Stiglitz, the guy who gave us the phrase, um, 1% and 99%, and I'll just finish that part of the story yeah. now. Um, so the funny thing about this extraordinary movement, this article by this centrist economist, like, you know, decent guys, there's a lot of decent stuff. If you're starting, just starting to think about wealth inequality um, and you're just wanting to maybe know a few basic macroeconomic terms, I would say that Stiglitz is not the worst place you could start, right? It's my hope that eventually you will read Capital. You don't have to. It'd be fucking nice though. Stiglitz is a good place to start and because he's quite a good educator, another good place to start, and I know that this is on Australian Netflix currently, is Robert Reich, the former Secretary of Labor under Clinton. He actually got the sack for saying the phrase, corporate welfare too much. Both of these guys are kind of interesting. And this sort of, I don't, I don't know, this maybe helps you if you're listening to position Roz is texting now. She just doesn't give a fuck. No, I was looking up someone else's name. Um, you so, have an iPad. So yes. I, I I don't have an iPad. I have an Android because, oh, sorry, an, because Android. I really um, care about the environment and the people 
Ergo, I buy my products from Google. Um, no, whatever I have. I just don't I was, know, I was, I don't understand. Michael Apple. Roberts is the guy I was looking up. The Michael Roberts is great. Yeah, he's also a good entry yeah, for Marxist economics. I would just say, like, leave it a little while for leave Michael Roberts. Um, I just, I mean, I just really think anyone who talks about the idea of a political economy is is a good place to start. Like, what are the questions that you ask when you're when you're all right, the first question is why do you start thinking about the political economy or mm. what we might call the the, 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 the mode of production, yep. which is um, capitalism. Yeah. Uh, that's the current I think a lot software. of people starting questions are what actually is capitalism and then what, why, why is it so bad and then what can we do about it? Um, I think and, that, like, what's stopping us? What stopped people from doing something about it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these, these are Is there something wrong with human nature or yeah, are I'm, people just greedy and fucked and whatever? These are things we can all mm. talk about because, I mean, you know, they sound like simple things to say. Like, are we Huge questions. Greedy and fucked. Like, Huge. I mean, the answer is no, in my view. I mean, and this is a view that I sort of, like, came to just in the course of life. And then I read what Marx and Engels said about it in the German ideology and there was a particular line for me that thought that made me think, oh, shit, that's completely right. And I know that on I've tweeted it out a few times and put yeah. it on Facebook a, a few Twitter times. It's Twitter length, is it? And, it's, it's, and that is, and you can Google it if you like because I know I'm going to get it wrong, but it's in the book um, which is sort of like, regarded as the, you know, the middle marks, the transitional marks. It is not the consciousness of men that determines their existence, but their social existence that determines their consciousness. Um, there's many Classic. reasons for me to think, oh, that fucking makes sense and that way of thinking makes an almost kind of like, I mean, natural is the wrong word, but I'm, I'm drawn in an instinctive sense to that kind of thinking. And like if you're just like an everyday feminist, right, and lots of people are these days, and you will entertain that thought that, um, you know, woman is not so much born as she is made. Mm. and Simone de Beauvoir. And, yeah, uh, you know, another not a bad person to spend time with. Sure. All right, so you have this, you find if you start thinking in a socialist way, that you have this argument with folks a lot of the time. So Roz was saying earlier, you know, if you declare that you, and I believe just in an ethical sense that it's better for me to openly declare what I believe. I don't want to secrete it from you. I don't want to say, you know, like I don't want to seduce people into thinking something. I just want to say, well, this is the name for what I believe. Um, this is why I believe it you know, what do you believe? Let's have a fucking brawl about it. That's all good. Yeah. You know, as long as you're open about it, like show me your thinking, show me the steps um, or even the life experiences that got you there and why do you think that? So, you know, we think of capitalism as something as inevitable or natural and that it is the, and if you're listening to Knackers in the Vag, um, a week or two ago uh, my mate Frank and I, or Francis and I were talking um, uh, you know, about this, uh, about this very 
topic um and th- that was um you know the the naturalness of of who we are many people mm. make many assumptions about human nature and again in a feminist context this is very easy for many of us now you know thanks to the efforts of feminism uh to and just loud ladies in general to understand so um you know just because a woman acts and dresses and and thinks and feels and experiences life in a particular way as a woman that is in fact a social creation and not only the way she is understood but the way she understands things has been created in some great part i think you know you fucking progressives can probably believe or comrades is informed by great part by the society into which she was born and and in which she was raised and in which she must participate. Yeah. I mean, both you and I are quite um, blokey. We're openly queer. Blokey? Well, we are quite blokey. We're, we're both quite blokey in, in some ways, right? Okay, I mean, yeah. not, not people wouldn't say, oh, you know, Ros Ward and Helen Razor. Well, my nan used to say I was definitely not ladylike. Yeah. And I wore clumpy shoes. Does that count? Uh, but shorts are a big thing for you. I love like sh- the, I, the, I would live in shorts. Like the Bunnings fucking, you know, DIY lady look is very big for you. I've never seen you not in kind of like um, horticulturalist shorts. Horticulturalist shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I think I found that. Want me to trim <laughs> your bushes, love? Sure. Okay. I think I uh, I'm moving on. I'm very carry on. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I was um, I was I was raised on carry on films. Yeah, um, but no. I mean, you know. So you know, we're both you know consciously and unconsciously um, adopting a particular version of 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 womanhood, and you know, like sure. you, you might. And be that's. Too- I think some of that is political. But oh fuck yeah, no, absolutely. It was one of the basic things of, of, in um, safe schools. Ooh, controversial. Uh, uh, you know what? You and I have promised never to talk about that publicly because people would be so bo- uh, bored um, uh, or troubled. Um, the thing um, that you, you you perhaps know when when you hear the name uh, Roth Ward is you, this is okay to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I was going to tell you something about some um, so, schools and so, gender. So, so Roth was far out, who knows how many times this woman's name has been mentioned in Hansard, which is the um, the, the the parliamentary oh, record of all of the fucking stupid things our mm. fucking stupid politicians say, um, and the the rare insight, which is usually takes the form of "Oh, shut up, Malcolm," um, or indeed "Shut up, Bill." Don't like either of them. No. Um, so Ros's name um, probably appears um, in Murdoch Press um, an equal number of times. I'd imagine quite a lot um, because you became a demon. Uh, your trade or your profession, if you like, just to make that class distinction, um, is in education. Yeah. And um, so you are known, um, your, your, your name is commonly understood as that of the person who devised the Safe Schools Project. Now, even if you're not Australian and you have some interest um, in, in queer, you may have heard of this fuck me, it was a big deal. And, yeah, it um, got a little bit heated. A little bit heated. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I mean, the thing that really got her in trouble was saying something Marxist on social media. 
she probably can't talk about that. No, I can. I can. Do you want me to say it again? I'm. I, I stand by it. All right. So, um, so, so we should. Ros was take down the racist Australian flag. Um, the fucking. Why not? Hey, the the fucking Australian flag is just. I mean, it's offensive in yep. at least seventeen different ways. Um, the the great, Union Jack is a butcher's apron. The, the, that's nice. I don't mm. know that one. Yeah. Um, the, the greatest offence is that um, the flag of um, the, the um, power that colonised this nation, that, that, that just took the land um, that had been the means of sustenance for the, the um, people who um, had lived here for so long, our First Nations people, I mean, just like why yeah, the fuck offensive. is the Union it's really Jack offensive. on a fucking flag and... I'm, I'm sorry, you look, it's nice that you're proud to be Australian. I mean, there's many things I like about being Australian too, but f- far out there is just a psychological fucking blot in the white Australian unconscious that white Australians largely refuse to address. That is the, the theft of land, um, the ongoing actual and documented massacre of the original inhabitants of this land um, and and it fucking goes on in, sure, in softer or more invisible ways, but it but it goes on. Oh, pretty visible. Like the police chasing a kid and he jumps off a balcony and he dies. That's a murder by the state. All right. Yeah. So Roswood, the name Roswood is known to you in one context. That is, you know, um, as the demon that wanted to turn your children funny. And the goal was, um, uh, you know, providing um, an opt-in lesson for schools that were interested, right? That was one part of it. Um, And, you know, they were going to talk. Teacher training, you know, school inclusion program, basically. And and so the the reason that that, um, the, the project was funded and approved in the first place is that there was in schools a need seen for understanding of kids who felt that they may have what we might call a non-normative gender or sexuality, right? So those yeah. kids were more, more than at just risk. understanding, though, just like the fact that all of the kind of health and well-being outcomes and whatever were worse for same-sex attracted and gender diverse young people in schools. Yeah. So people are like, oh, we can't just keep ignoring this. We should have something that addresses it. And safe schools was kind of pitched as that, and um, it was that. And what, and one of the things is like su- suicidality in um, gender diverse um, um, or non, non what's the correct language? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, transgender and gender diverse. And, transgender, and gender, gender diverse, questioning young people. Yeah. Uh, gender, and sec- what what do you say for sexuality? Sexually diverse. Sexually diverse. Same sex attracted. <laughs> um, or I mean, you know. Open-minded? No. Just broad-minded. Broad-minded <laughs> is what it used to say in the personals. This yeah. used to be the code. You're familiar with it, obviously. So I've always been broad-minded. Whatever you, whatever you call a bent kid. Um, <laughs> uh, it, you know, a bent kid is more likely to experience suicidality, is more likely to attract a specific kind of attention at school, yeah? Mm. And what, what about their academic... Um, yeah, usually worse. Worse. Like, you know, problems. Um, so uh, all the survey data of self-reported experience in schools is, you know, finding it harder to concentrate, not doing as well in class, et cetera. Okay, so um, some uh, people in um, uh, 
education, or do you call it pedagogical studies or something? I don't know. Nah. All right. So some people studied it and found that um, you, you were at higher risk if you yeah. were a, a queer kid or gender diverse kid. People in health actually. Um, people in health. were concerned about oh, it. right. So yeah. it was um, the Australian Centre for Sexual Health Re- Research at La Trobe yeah. University here in Melbourne. Archers, yeah. Archers for short. Um, so um, they had observed that there were these correlations, bad yeah. health and educational outcomes. And so do you know off the top of your head how much funding there was for this um, education program? Originally when we first started in 2010, the – Victorian government gave us $80,000. That's fuck all. Yeah. And, like, how much um, funding over the period, do you think, like, guesstimate is fine? Over the whole – well, the, the federal funding was m- much more a couple of years later. Like how much? It was $8 million. Oh, that's fuck all. Yeah. It felt a lot to us, but it's not much compared to, you know, say – That's a few salaries at the ABC. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, John Fane and a couple of others. But, yeah, no, yeah. it's, I mean, it's a number of salaries at the ABC, but it's like um, the, the the dude in charge of Australian Post gets $4 million a year and so $8 million. Yeah, it's not much. So so in terms – The chaplaincy program I think is $120 million a year. Okay, and so, so chaplaincy Just is – Just random comparison. That That's like <laughs> you, 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 you pay a cleric to go into school and yeah. talk about religious virtues. Yeah. Um, so $8 million in the scheme of things – Drop in the ocean. Not a lot. Yeah. I mean, I remember, for example, there a couple of years ago there was a um, program about body image in teens. Um, I believe it received about a million dollars in total um, of funding and it seemed to me, um, because I did interrogate the people involved, one of whom was um, uh, Mia Friedman, like what are you basing this idea on? Why do you make, need to make young women feel better about their bodies? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I'm, I know it might seem axiomatic um, to you if you're listening. Oh, my God, of course it would be nice if women felt better about their bodies. Yeah, like, sure, of course it would be nice if young women felt better about their bodies and young men too. But do you really think you can fucking fix it with an awareness campaign? I don't, and I was quite interested in that. Okay, so that's like a million dollars for like a group of ladies to sort of sit around and sort of decide which which media they would give awards to. So like eight million dollars, let's yeah, just say, yeah, yeah. not a fuck of a lot. So so this program that cost eight million dollars and um, was initially funded by the Victorian government, a Liberal government, Labor actually, just a, before they lost. Okay, the so election um, to ba- Ted. So funded by our purportedly left-wing government. But can, the Liberals continue to fund it in Victoria. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so our Conservative government yep. um, continued uh, to fund it. We received, or you received, funding um, fe- federally from, uh, was this under Abbott it or was labor. It was Labor initially and then um, the Abbott government continued to support it. And whole life of the project, mm. so around about $8 million and at some point or another um, this became – quite the deal. Um, yeah. It had been approved and approved and February approved. 2014. <laughs> okay, not that you remember. Was um, it 2014 or 15? Okay, so, oh, what, yeah. so what happened? Well, the first thing that happened was that um, there was an exclusive in the Australian newspaper. Oh, Mur- my God, those people. Which was not very exclusive, um, Murdoch Press, and they said that they – had investigated the authors of a 
resource put out by Safe Schools, which is the one classroom kind of teaching resource. And you're one of the authors. And they found out that I was one of the authors and that I was um, a known Marxist. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I sort of, I mean, I don't love it, but I mean, it amuses me that, um, you know, it's actually more obscene now to be a known Marxist than a known homosexual. Well, both is yeah. worse, I think. Like homosexual, Marxist, ambiguous gender presentation, run for the hills and take your kids with you was the general idea. Okay, so, I mean, so yeah, this is quite, I mean, it's terrible because you're in the middle of it, um, but it's also um, instructive and a little bit funny Yeah. in the sense that, you know, if you, you may have experienced this too, if you say something as anodyne as I don't understand why, uncle, you have a different opinion about people with an accent that is not Australian or what I understand to be Australian. Um, and he, uncle might call you a Marxist um, for saying something compassionate or just generally reasonable. Yeah. Um, so our middle Australian kind of understanding of Marxist is often anybody I disagree with. In this case, actual Marxist. In this case, they're Googling came up Trump's well-done investigative journalist because I had written for Red Flag, which is a socialist uh, newspaper and online publication. And, and they you found are a, a Marxist. And I am a Marxist, so yeah. Didn't it, it, They had, you know, five years before that to also Google my name and find the same evidence that they'd found then, but um, I, for some it, reason it happened then. You know, I was talking with um, a, a very scholarly older friend the other day about the Australian um, and the the form of their so-called journalism. Yes. This is not to say that everything in the Australian is a piece of shit. You know, there's some good arts writing. You know, I mean, strangely enough, every now and then they actually report on remote communities in Australia with like a degree of objectivity and they do in fact, um, you know, in investigate regional remote rural problems that, that other people don't. The things that get attention, I'm not saying fucking buy it, by, by any means. Nobody that, does, it's fine. That, nobody actually does. So it's a Murdoch newspaper. It is upheld by subsidy from Rupert Murdoch, yeah. um, presumably um, through a sense of vanity, also um, a sense of permitting um, conservative forces in Australia to give their intellectual rationale to other people. So, yeah, yeah we can say- It's an ideological tool, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think more people read The Australian in Canberra by far than anywhere else in the country and they care about it and because then every, it's part yeah. of the kind of working out what the line is the, from I mean, the elite Seriously, they can't give the thing away. Yeah. Like I used to write for it back in the day of actual print media, right? At the time it was still only selling 30,000 copies a day. Yeah. And I think that that included giveaways. Yeah. And this is like the 90s where when the Australian wasn't quite so um, conservative and your, your your Sydney Morning Herald would sell like 1.5 million copies a day easily. Yeah, it's It's never sold much. I'm sure that the sales figures, which I don't think that they report anymore. No, I don't think they would. Uh, I, I mean, I will have to check that. If I ever get around to writing show notes, I'll try to substantiate that, um, that for you. But um, it, it's actually not read widely. Yeah. But it's still this thing that exists 
in the in the hearts and minds of the high-minded. It is our one national broadsheet. Mm. There was a time where it didn't do what it what it does today. It, it it genuinely did at one point have some ambition to sort of like cover Australia. And there was a time, I, I'm told, I wasn't there, like back in the in the early 1970s where it covered the Black Power movement like no other newspaper. Oh, weird. Ask Gary Foley. Yeah. He was I will. on the front cover. Wow. And covered by um, the, the late journalist Debrito, who was Sam Debrito, also unfortunately a late journalist's dad, and given what he still considers a very fair hearing, like radical black Highly intelligent thinkers were covered in, anyway, enough about the Australian. <laughs> what it exists for today. Fast forward to today. What it exists for today is to create reports that other people, usually within the same press within company yep. um, and electronic media company, report on. And there must be people assigned to um, mine outrage. The new uh, political editor. <laughs> Of the Daily Telegraph, which is still Australia's biggest selling newspaper. Yeah. A bit like the New York Post or the Sun, for your reference. A woman called <coughs> Sherry Markson. Um, she's the political affairs editor of um, uh, the, the, the Australian um, uh, recently uh, of the Daily Telegraph. Um, was with the Australian as the, the media editor before. Okay. And she became famous for... A similar story, which was going to Sydney University, sitting in on some media classes and hearing the tutor say something disparaging about Rupert Murdoch's company, News Corp. And did a takedown on, on Sydney Union media courses. And how they were all Liberal, lefties. Yeah. It, you don't have to be a Marxist to hate um, News Corp. You just have to be somebody who respects journalism in yeah. my view. But all is all are welcome. But they do. I mean, they did something yesterday. They've, there's a, there's a group that assists corporations and businesses called the Diversity Council. Again, a, from what I can tell, a very anodyne organisation that just says, you know, be more respectful in the workplace. Yeah. It doesn't say give your workers secure jobs or anything. It's just like be more respectful. Um, we've done some studies, this language works better in the workplace, blah, blah, blah. A couple of years ago they did some report about how more neutral language tends to enhance productivity, so like actually a capitalist statement. Yeah. And so the Australian ran with that yesterday, like, oh, the diversity council, political correctness. You're not allowed to say man anymore. I mean, and it's like, you know, and Tony Abbott commented on it and, and you know, all of this stuff. Yeah. The other thing that's been happening recently in the Australian, just to give you some idea of what their core business is, a very centrist appraisal of company tax was written on the ABC website by the journalist Emma Alberici a few weeks ago. The Australian has written so many stories about how she's a Marxist simply for stating the truth that over time the more uh, concessions given to large corporations, you, you cannot say, as is the view of the current government, that this translates to better conditions for workers. She wasn't even saying it translated to worse conditions. She was just saying giving the people with the most more doesn't mean that the people with the least also get more. Yeah. 
we're in a phase in history where even the fucking International Monetary Fund says nothing's trickling down. Says, oh, we must abandon neoliberalism and trickle down economics. Hey, just between you and me, they're not. They still totally support it, but you know, but it's yeah. very common now to say, I hate neoliberalism, I hate trickle down economics. It's not very patriotic, though, and is it? So for the ABC. Yeah. And I mean, I've been called a Marxist, which I didn't mind at all because I was actually also declaring myself a Marxist in the Australian by Jared Henderson quite quite recently. Oh, she's yeah. she's an idiot. She doesn't know anything about communism, which is actually a terrible insult. So this is, you know, what they do all the time, find stories and, and people that really mean nothing unless they're elevated, then given to conservative politicians who then make a song and dance about them and then they become fucking news and then, you know, people like, People all around the place, and you know, including you and I, talk about it. But you were the victim of such a sustained attack. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I rise as a voice for thousands of parents who've been shocked when they discover how the ironically named Safe Schools program is indoctrinating their children. In this Safe Schools program, I mean, the things that they're teaching kids to do, you don't have to tell them, but you can use your imagination. It's all kind of bad stuff. It is not just regular anatomy. They are teaching kids pornography. Deliberately, deliberately encourage them to enter into to bondage parties. Or anything, or Safe Schools is like uh, the Holocaust. Or to visit sex stores. Safe Schools has been teaching Australian kids about breast binding and penis tucking. Some of the things that the Safe Schools Coalition Australia are recommending to school students include pornographic web content, sex shops, adult online communities and sex clubs. And he, I, you know, we always go, how was your day? And he got in the car and he said, the first thing he said was, oh, well, I had to make a vagina at school. Pornography, uh, vagina, they were split into different groups, um, the boys and the girls, and um, he had to make it. They were given things like plasticine and pipe cleaners and... Bondage parties. Sex shops. Pornography. Now, I need to clarify, that was actually in the, the sexuality education program, so not technically a safe schools resource, but... The, the lines are all very blurred. Sex shops. Pornography. The Holocaust. Penis tucking. And sex clubs. And these people are in denial about it. The author of this program, the author of this Safe Schools program, is an avowed Marxist who said that gender... It was like uh, the Holocaust. One of its creators, Ros Ward, is a radical left-wing activist and gender campaigner. The academic behind the Safe Schools anti-bullying program being suspended for posting that the Australian flag is racist on Facebook. Last week, the Victorian government apologised in Parliament for past gay discrimination. In response, Ros Ward from La Trobe University uploaded a picture of the rainbow flag flying above Parliament House. The caption read, now we just need to get rid of the racist Australian flag on top of state parliament and get a red one up there and my work is done. La Trobe University has suspended Ms Ward pending an investigation and the tertiary union has vowed to take legal action if she's not reinstated. Ros Ward is a radical left-wing activist. Yeah, good times. Yep. It was a, it was a lot of words and uh, a lot of days and a lot of time thinking... Surely that's they can't ring any more out of this, and then along comes the next story, and the next story, and the next story. And I think that's part of it is just the kind of relentlessness of it, and going after people whose job is not to be engaged in the media. It was not my job in safe schools to make it a media thing. 
to make it a public debate. No, whatever. you were communicating with educators, right? Yeah, it was totally like working with schools. The schools were happy. We were happy. We were just going along doing what we were doing. So for it to become something that was like an everyday attack in the media, um, yeah, crazy. And um, like, I mean, fucking personal stories of hope and shit, shit me, but. Um, Didn't work though, Rebecca Urban. Um, nice try. Uh, That's all. Did I mean? Did you have similar things have happened to me? Uh, except, in one sense, I'm fair game because I've always been a, a public person and I'm sort of inured to it. But I mean, it can still like yeah. really ruin your day, right? Yeah, it gives you. Yeah, it's a bit shitty. Did you feel a sense of? Um, and if this has happened to you, say even on social media, people you know only a bit, or you've only met online, or you don't know at all. Uh, talking about you, um, you can have this very almost physical sense of like dislocation from yourself. Like yeah. um, when I got stalked, I had a very intense physical sensation of not being present in my body. Did it ever get intense enough? for? And if you don't want to answer this, this is totally fine. I mean, it's totally up to you. But I mean, it, it is sort of interesting, I think, to explore what happens to individual targets. You know, I mean, people actually just doing something fairly inoffensive, not even Marxist at all, might we add, you're doing something nice for yeah. educators that based yeah. on the requests of educators. Yeah, pretty straightforward and, you know, fits with the Australian curriculum, fits with human rights legislation, fits with best practice, everything, you know. It's not really that controversial or different to what they may have ordinarily been doing or someone else may have done, but because I'm a Marxist it became... Uh, this massively heightened thing. And, yeah, there were moments. I think, you know, I guess it really did, didn't it? Yeah. Because it's not like teaching kids about um, safe sex in a sort of same-sex, queer sex situation is a new thing. It's been around since the 90s. People have been talking about being same-sex attracted and whatever for a long time. So, yeah, it it really did become a debate in a way that, it yeah. hasn't in that public way. It's. I mean, it's It's so... It's been on the sort of fringes of debates about what should be in sex ed and whatever, but for that level of interest publicly, I don't think it's ever happened in Australia before. It is It is so weird. I mean, you know, this is not to say that homophobia is not, not present, but I mean, you know, I'm older than you and it's, it's like, so I went to high school in the 80s. I have a very clear memory for probably quite naughty reasons of... Have, watching a sex ed video and there was a quite horny depiction of gay male sex in it. And, it, like, it was, it was, that was sort of, I mean, it wasn't graphic or anything, but it was sort of one man behind the other and they were naked and embracing. You couldn't yeah. see um, genitals. Or, oh, or, you were lucky, weren't you? I mean, I've always liked, like, gay male porn, you know, like it's, it's, I mean, probably like me. You know, you 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 tend to watch um, maybe if they if they come up films about gays. And there was that that um, dreadful one called "The Kids Are All Right" with. Um, oh God. Did you see that? Yeah. I mean, so bad, but it was so funny that bit where they they're watching like these two dykes are watching yeah. gay male sex to get off. It was like, right? Other people do that too. You know. I think it's. A fairly common, yeah, uh, like a lot of women lesbian watch, thing. Yeah, yeah, it is lesbian right? by queer woman or just I whatever. Mean, 
yeah, a lot of people like. Um, so it wasn't like it was the first, and it was. I was talking to, and I think you know her, um, Sally Rugg, who was the campaign manager for um, the the marriage thing. Yeah, get up. Um, from 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 get up, and it, so I was talking to her. I was having a beer with her the other day, and um, I was like, you know, because Sally's like, you know, in her twenties still. You wouldn't know from her work. You'd think she'd been doing it for seventeen lifetimes, but um, very very competent campaigner. She is. Um, but you know, I was just saying, I reckon if we had the plebiscite in the, in like the early nineties, the figure would have been higher, you, you, you know, like I, my sense of being, um, Australian is that people were much more accepting of, uh, non-normative sexuality and even of transgender people in many ways, some time ago. So just like. I'm not sure if that's true. Yeah, it could have just been. And I th- it could just be particular perspective of yeah. the period. I mean, there is research back in the 90s of um, like the first study of young people who were same-sex attracted in Australia where they got to say what they wanted to say I was in 1998. Right, The first writing really? themselves in study. And that was um, uh a, a written form that you filled in and you posted back to this P.O. box address and it was advertised in Dolly magazine and stuff. And that survey, which I think 750-odd young people responded to, was extremely negative in their experiences True. of homophobia. Yeah. Huh. And one of the things I think Have sort you said, of interesting, yeah. the more of the kind of qual data where they get to write whatever not just adding up the numbers of things, where they a lot of them talked about the fact that they would never have a family, they would never be able to get married, that they couldn't really see a future for themselves. Yeah. And you compare that to 2010 when the, when the same survey was done for the third time and people were talking about, all. I mean, it might not be the kind of um, heteronormative future that the queers of the 90s thought was going to be what people were aiming for, but the level of kind of um, positive kind of future okay yeah this that is young people think now they can have compared to the 90s all right yeah pretty, no you're completely right it's different. my perspective it's my delusion like i'm more and than, i think sometimes when yeah. uh, when a debate is brought out into the open like the marriage plebiscite did it's more that the visibility of all the homophobia is suddenly there oh and also people are forced to have an opinion yeah. and there are many things that i actually don't have an opinion about um, and, you know, when people are forced to have an opinion on, frankly, what is a dying institution, you know, I mean, seriously. Well, it's also forcing people to have an opinion on on something that doesn't, you know. Okay. That, well, we'll yeah. get back to you. Just one brief point that I wanted to make chiefly for your interest. You're completely right. Um, I was sort of marinating entirely in a queer perspective at that time. I was living. That in, was probably you peak queer, was it? Yeah, it was like me peak queer. It was like I was living was working in the knowledge class in the middle of Sydney in a gay ghetto in the 1990s and also there was no antiviral combination um, therapy that guaranteed um, the, the longevity of, 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 of people, you know, then in my community, chiefly gay men. Um, and, and so there was none of that available. Yep. Um, people were fighting not only for a cure in extraordinary ways like if we remember you know fucking watch the film the dallas buyers buyers club yeah and remember that it was actually 
gay gay men who did all of that medical activism. Yeah, um, and, and I just watched a French film on the weekend, you know, because yeah, I, just I like, like to read subtitles called BPM, which is about the French act up in Paris, which was amazing. But I didn't know much about I mean, that, they, but it's they, the same know, thing. This yeah. was incredible. They like, you know, like large communities and this includes lesbians, um, oh, yeah. uh, women who lived um, in, in, in drag or as trans because people identified in a different way back then, so I'm not being offensive. All of of these people were in some way involved with yeah. this great crisis and there was incredible things that happened at every level, like even with the fashion, uh, gay men and, 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 um, and, and lesbians that didn't have HIV would, would dress, have their hair cut, do their makeup as though they did. And, I mean, it was a sort of a sign of solidarity. I mean, like, yeah, you could say, like, we were vain and starving ourselves, but, you know, it was very in to be as thin as possible. No one was going to the gym. It was look like you have HIV. I mean, you, you don't declare those things openly, mm. but when I see... Well, it's definitely the case that if you're involved in an ACT UP group or, or some kind of... But it was gay activist group that people would assume you had HIV and you just were yeah, happy to show that solidarity. Yeah, and it wasn't even like super queer act up people. It was like, oh, okay, well, you know, the state's not delivering. We have to yeah. develop informal networks for men who were dying to come and die in a nice environment. And there was like like makeshift hospice care and shit like that. Like even in this great nation with its healthcare, right? There, there was people, you know taking people to the opera if they like the opera and, yeah. and, you know, and funding that and making meals because, you, you know, the traditional kind of like meal delivery services were maybe not delivering no. to gay people. Um, and so, yes, you're, you're right. I lived in a bubble and fuck, it was nice. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it was tragic as well because men were dying, like often, you know. Yeah. And it was, um, but it was also you know, extraordinary to see this kind of like com community and yeah. it was just and in part the community existed, I guess, because of the external um, sense of oppression and, and, and like loathing that other people had for us. But it was anyway, enough of that. I just that's really just for you. Um, uh, but so the Australian, um, you were mentioned there a lot. You were mentioned um, in Parliament and you have some sense from what you've said, that your particular and often openly declared politics that you, you never strove to hide perhaps accelerated the, 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 the interest? Did you think that the um, Marxism became an impediment to what you and your colleagues did and by extension to what young queer people might might have felt? Did you feel a sense of responsibility? I'm, I'm kind of getting the sense that you're, you're saying that. It was like, oh, if only I hadn't been a Marxist, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, no, I don't think that. No. I, I mean, uh, th there was no impediment around the work that Safe Schools was doing until um, people who didn't want the work to happen created some impediments, one of which being the fact that I'm a Marxist to try to um, und undermine the program and public support for the program. So are you talking about within your own institution or was this from other institutions? What do you mean? You're saying people. 
and you're being a bit cagey. No, no, I'm saying I'm saying the Murdoch press, the right of the Liberal Party, Corey Bernardi, the Australian Christian lobby wanted to stop the work of safe schools and me being a Marxist was a way for them to... So it was just a rationale. It was part of a rationale where I think actually partly because of the progress we've made in winding back homophobia and transphobia that you can't just say, I don't think kids in school should be taught that it's okay to be gay. Mm. So you need to say something else. You need to say this is a radical Marxist program. It includes all of this made-up shit that doesn't include like how to masturbate with an electric toothbrush. I mean, I hadn't thought of teaching people that, but that's what they said was in it. You know, like it, it becomes all jumbled up with Marxism, communism, gay sex, gender, boys in dresses, the sin of, blah, blah, the blah. The sin of self-pleasure with a, a, with a, a household item. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's who I mean by the, the people, the and homophobes the, and the transphobes who didn't want safe schools to happen, right? Okay, so speaking as somebody who's quite interested in history and its movement because anyone who is a Marxist will eventually encounter this idea that you're inhabiting a particular historical moment and like part of the thing about, not of your own making as no, Marxists. Not 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 of your own making at all. Um and you know, he has a lot to say about the dynamism of capitalism. Yep. And that might not be good in a cultural sense, but he always says that, you know, for for, for a, a period it's it's very good in a production sense that, that capitalism will for a period bring us great innovation, blah, blah, blah. But it's so I mean you must have had this sense of being caught up in a historical moment and it's a moment that we can say worldwide. And so there's a few things that have, that have happened and in part it's been caused by the debate at which you accidentally found yourself the centre, this sort of, you know, studious lass um, just trying to do her job um, and then being found to be uh, a Marxist. But so I detect from a lot of young kids that, I mean, they're – like it'd be really annoying for me, like as <laughs> a person who loves the feeling of not belonging to a degree, like it, it almost seems like a majority of Australian kids, again, my perspective, my friends tend to be pretty decent people, I guess. I mean, well, I think they're decent. But, I mean, I get the sense from a lot of kids that they, 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 they actually think being having a non-normative gender or sexuality is kind of a great thing. Right, I think I think there's a lot of kids, the young people that do, yeah. And I think the vast majority probably don't think about it at all. You don't think in Australia, no. You don't think sexuality is to a degree on everybody's mind often. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's on people's minds that they think about relationships and um, sex. Yeah, but I don't think the majority of young people in Australia are thinking about, you know non-binary gender identity or whatever, or um, pansexuality. You don't think? Mm, no. I think there's a significant minority that are and um, that's an interesting moment in time. Yeah. But I don't think uh, I don't think the backlash against that sort of way of thinking about things is proportionate to the actual reality. Okay. I, I think one thing that we, we can say is that the children or the young people of the West no longer have as their primary sense of identification their nationhood. 
like whatever kid in the West that you ask, it might be slightly different in the USA whose identity is really important in the USA. But, you know, I have read stuff about this, like international relations people say this, that um, a lot of kids construe themselves as global, right? I would prefer to that they thought of themselves as international, but they think of themselves as global. Yep. Their identity has no physical borders. And so the very idea of identity is something that is shifting. So even if they're not thinking about um, sex or gender identity, um, sexuality identity or whatever, the idea of identity comes up for them quite a bit because Australian doesn't mean what it used to. Like Um. Australian is not the first thing that a young person will tell you about themselves. Yeah. Whereas an older person might. Yeah, that might be true. I don't, I don't know any of the research around that, but I wouldn't say that that's necessarily then replaced by something about gender or sexuality. I think that gender and sex identity are questions that come up, whether consciously or unconsciously. But um, so I, Yeah, but okay, I think so that's sort of always true. The question that I was really asking was about, so your place in history, in Australia we are having this very frenzied debate about two relatively minor things. One is some kids in some schools um, have teachers who may have access to a program of education about sex and gender. And we also have marriage. So the idea of sexual uh, uh, orientation um, becomes this extraordinary question here. And it happens at the same time that Trump becomes uh, the president of of the United States. Uh, It happens at the same time, the same point in in history um, that Brexit occurs, that we see all sorts of Eurosceptics appear, you know, recently the five-star, you know, anti-corruption Eurosceptic oh, yep. party. The corrupt anti-corruption yeah, party of I mean, Italy. Yep. And, um, I mean, you see uh, the dissolution of major parties in order for major parties to exist. Um, you know, in the Bundestag, traditional rivals, the Christian Democrats and the SDP, once long ago an actual socialist party, um, have had to form government together. So you see this sense of crisis, like right around the world, which, you know, if you're watching as um, a Marxist or anybody who's interested in um, history, anybody who wants to look at the decline of the West and you see all of this shit happening, in Australia where because of our commodity prices and, um, you know, the fact that we still do have some social services, we're kind of as a population buffered from the the wealth inequality and social inequality extremes um, that we see in those other countries that I mentioned, right? But there's still this sense, because it's real, that something's about to break, that we're approaching some kind of hard limit, that the systems that have sustained us are no longer sustainable. And so you get some kind of panicked reaction to, to that. And in America, there was the great rejection of the traditional path, which was 
you, you know, which was exemplified by Hillary Clinton. People took a fucking gamble and voted for that fucking bright orange juggalo. Like that's how well, most people didn't vote for anyone. This is true. Two most unpopular candidates, but still yeah. the fact that 60 million people could have voted for a reality television star bears some analysis beyond the Russians did it. Like even Correct. if he got one million votes, I'd still want to know fucking why, right? Wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. And so all of these things are happening. And I think the way that it manifests in Australia really is through safe schools and 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 same-sex marriage and we play out our national anxiety in this way. Did you have that sense that this is part of like something that is happening across the West where people feel that they need to take a strong position against something, anything please, in order to distract me from the fucking deep anxiety I'm feeling about the future. Did you have that sense? Um, that's what I saw. Well, that's putting safe schools on a pretty big um No, it was just it was <laughs> platform, just, but I, it was I just an accident. Yeah. You know, it was just no, an know, accident. Yeah. It was handy. It was there. Yeah. Like let's fret about something. Political correctness gone mad, fluid identity, young people will have sex with anything. We don't know if they're boys or girls anymore, Um, you know. Oh, I definitely think that social questions have uh, taken on um, like a heightened importance because of the lack of political options available that people want to debate or get behind or support or not support. Which is why a question like marriage equality can have such a massive turnout, massive engagement rate. Because actually yeah. a lot of people feel strongly either way. Mostly, thank goodness, uh, that it's ridiculous that we didn't have marriage equality and they wanted to vote yes, but people don't give a shit about bloody Turnbull or Bill Shorten. And they don't. But that's not they, what, I mean, And they didn't give a shit about Hillary the, Clinton. They didn't like it. They didn't believe it. That's, I mean, America's a bit yeah, different, but that, that's the thing, isn't I it? I think the rejection of mainstream politics overall leads to the collapse of these centre parties, like we've seen in Europe, and I think we're seeing in America with the collapse of the Democrats and the basically this ongoing internal war in the Republican Party. Plus, in places where, like Australia, the economic crisis hasn't hit, you get these. Yeah, I think you're right that it it can burst out in these social questions that. That it kind hasn't, of polarisation. It hasn't hit, but there is an, but I think it's a, an coming, extraordinary yeah. amount of, of people doing it really fucking tough in oh, Australia. Oh, yeah, Australia. Like, like you know, the, the hidden levels of people living in poverty in, in Australia. And this conversation. It's very well hidden. Yeah. And this, this More con- than two million people living in poverty in yeah. Australia. And yep. the median Australian wage, so you, I've told you this before, you, 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 pl- please, especially in times um, like, like these of greater wealth inequality, you, you really must look at the median figure. Look, I know that is boring as shit, but the median figure for, for wealth or income, although really, you know, we just mostly have data on income. So the median figure is, so, which is close to the typical figure that Australian workers will earn is $662 a week. So there are people living on $662 a week. Now, when, when you consider that most people are paying about $350 um, a week, a week rent and stuff like it's it's barely enough to get by. It's it's more. I mean, I know that people live in far worse circumstances. Of course, you know you can still eat 
Um, if you're lucky enough to find a bulk bill clinic, you can probably still afford healthcare and stuff. But, you know, as for things like new clothes or, 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 or what have you, well, there's just no jobs and cop your $662 a week. Our central bank says even, you know, many years after it was a fact, um, I'm told by economists who know a great deal more than me, underemployment is an extraordinary problem as it was in 1929 uh, in the prelude to the Great Depression. Another thing, our private debt in Australia is is staggering. Huge. It's it's like the the GDP to private debt ratio is like 123%. It's the second or third highest mm. in the world. Uh, there are people facing mortgage pressure and when they yeah, can't take much of an in- interest rate rise for people to not be able to pay their mortgages. And you and I both know what's going to happen. Like if people can't fulfil their obligation to the bank. The banks are going to get bailed out. You're not going to get bailed out. No one's going to save your fucking house. And so, so as you say, two, two million in, in poverty, there's mm. way more vacant residences than there are homeless people. The standard of education for your kids is oftentimes, mm. and I'm, I'm saying this to an educator, like it's a piece of shit, right? Well, education is dramatically underfunded. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah, it's and actually, people still have to pay bloody money to public schools. I know, like parents, friends of mine who are parents who are like, "Oh, well, I have to pay for this trip and this thing and this thing." It's like it's not free. Or they're paying, um, you know, in addition, they're paying if they do have aspirations for their children, they're paying higher rents or higher mortgage costs to live in the right to live area. in a good school yeah. zone where they can actually go to an affordable school. This is one of them, actually. Second best high school apparently, um, state high school just down the road there. Yeah. So like the housing prices here are ridiculous. So there is a sense of a hard limit. Like you know someone or you yourself are experiencing stress and it's uh, an understandable perhaps not a desirable reaction, definitely not a desirable reaction to look for something to be really shitty about. Yeah. And then the argument becomes – it's political correctness that's gone mad. I can't say what I feel. That's the problem yeah. with the world it's today. It's the liberal elites and the people who are telling me what to do, plus the refugees, plus the Muslim terrorists. Okay. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, a big part of the problem we face in Australia is like the unrestricted lending that banks can continue to offer people who can't afford life otherwise. Mm. And so there's this extraordinary stress and the you rich get richer, blah, blah, blah. And so, yes, it's understandable that yep. people play um, these these frustrations out and they demonise a particular group or a particular $8 million over how many years, like, school program yep. um, with which you, the Marxist, was yeah. identified. Yep. And you know what? I read once that they called you a cultural Marxist and I, thought, I, I felt really bad you for you. You felt bad for me because you knew what that means. Um, I'm like, wow, I really hope she isn't a cultural Marxist. I hope she's a proper Marxist. Thank you. Because cultural Marxist is a lie. Yeah, it's not a, yeah. Doesn't exist. When people talk about being cultural Marxist, it means they're not a Marxist. Yeah. Or it's an insult. Yeah. From an underinformed right. But the other thing that happened, and I would love to know how you um, sort of observe this, you seem like a fairly stable person who's able to just say, oh, that's a bunch of people being dicks, mm. which is a gift that Marxism can give you. Yeah. 
we're, <laughs> like, we're good at um, picking out who is a bag of dicks. Yeah, it's just like, and it's also not their fault because their social consciousness was formed by history. Yeah. So we're not mean to them individually. Well, oh, yeah. Well, we try not to be. No, I think you can still call someone a fucking oh, yeah. piece of shit scumbag yeah, you, if they you, are. There's not um, an explicit Corey prohibition Bernardian. against it, of course. But so on the one hand, you and, have- and you know, it's right to encourage righteous anger against yeah. some of these people. Okay, so you're a particular person who still believes, as I do, in the so-called grand narrative of Marxism. A system of old thought. school modernists we are, aren't we? Yeah, trapped. Like, in- <laughs> I'm sorry. I like. I've been down the fucking social constructivist route. I've and you didn't like it. It was like it just made no sense. It just ends in nihilism. It just ends in people saying there's a bunch of stuff and some of it is bad. Be good. That doesn't work. Yeah. And it's like, okay. I mean, I really think that this is the most totalizing theory of our everyday experience that I've yet encountered. You know, yeah, I agree. It makes sense. Do you? Um, that's a surprise. <laughs> it's not a theory of everything. It explains a fuck of a lot and it can get you through some shit periods. I agree with that. you understand why people object to you or something or whatever. So on the one hand you mm-hmm. have these right-wing people calling you the worst insult in the world, which is, of course, cultural Marxist. Mm. And on the other hand you have liberal progressives championing you and not all of them. A lot of them, though, <laughs> right? So you had like, and I'm sure in that situation, not me actually, but or some for the program, yeah, championing the program, yeah. And so on the one hand, and this is a, an argument that occurs in many different ways in this country and in other Western countries, which is on the one hand you have these conservatives saying the true problem, political correctness gone mad. That is, people are thinking wrong. And then on the other hand, you have the, the very dominant liberal progressive narrative, which is the problem is there's not enough political correctness. For, for, the problem is people are thinking wrong. Yeah. And so you're getting these moral injunctions on both sides, right? Yeah. So you get your – and I know that there were liberal progressives who were showing solidarity with you because I read their accounts and I saw them on social media people who weren't Marxists at all, just yeah. like nice people, whatever, whatever, Hillary, blah. Well, the IPA defended my right to free speech. Oh. Which is interesting. That is interesting. Never thought we'd uh, be um, arguing the same thing. And so y- you or at least your program becomes the focus for an argument that a Marxist doesn't want to have. It's like, okay, this is my work give a shit about queer kids, think education has a role, going to do this, you know, decent work, right? Yeah. But on the one hand then the program becomes something else. It takes a life on a life of its own. Yeah. It's another example of political correctness gone mad. I can't think what I want. You know, this cultural Marxist, bullshit, bullshit, like leftist army trying to make everybody so tolerant. Why can't people be free to say what they want? And the other group of people saying people must not be free to say what they want. And, you know, and I know you a little bit and you're not either of those no. people. You probably believe in manners. 
and not being a complete turd. Yeah. Um, I think it I think there's it's okay to say like, you know, be nice be kind and nice to each other. Yeah, I'm sure. Hey but- students in schools, don't behave like little shits to each other. Yeah, but I'm well aware that no one's going to listen to me. No. And this is the appeal of, you know, a truly Marxist way of thinking in that you uh, get to the point where, you know, remember what we said about it's, um, you know, it's, it's not the social consciousness of men that produces social conditions, but actually it's the other way around. So it's quite a simple idea in a sense. It's like it doesn't start with an idea and then produce a reality. It's a reality that produces the idea. Yep. And I guess that you believe that if we had a different way of organising ourselves, which didn't start with the idea of we must be more tolerant, but started with a much more basic idea of we must have a society in which... It's not based on exploitation yeah, in which, and oppression. In, in which we must define freedom and we must allow the flourishing of every human being, then maybe people aren't going to be such dicks. I mean, I would say certainly people aren't going to be such dicks. Yeah, I agree with that. I, yeah, I, I think that's the thing about, I mean, it sounds like boring Marxism to talk about the mode of production, but that's the, that's the essence of where um, your being begins in that mode of production because we're all forced to work to stay alive unless we're a boss or an owner of a company or the owner of a large amount of land or a mine or something. We're in a position where we're forced to work and we're forced into um, producing things that we rarely have any sort of um, mental relationship with. I mean, some of your work is an exception to that, but we're forced into this position where we have to offer our bodies as labour and our minds as labour and from that point everything else is sort of distorted to the kind of profit motive. Everybody, I think, you know, including writers who, including like loud lady Marxist writers or educators who find themselves doing work that they feel quite close to, there is still that sense of alienation. I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm not You're saying. You're not actually writing what you. I'm. Yeah, actually, think I'm all not. Of the I'm, time. I'm not actually saying feel sorry for me. I I fucking love that I can make a dollar by saying tear down capitalism in a variety of ways. And I found a niche. Yep. And um, you know, I found a way sometimes, hopefully, to make it funny. That's that's great, and I get lots of plaudits, and I'm part of the knowledge class, and. Basically, culturally, my life is quite comfortable, but everybody feels that sense of alienation which derives from the way we organise our societies, aka the mode of production, and it is an incredibly totalising force. And I found it really interesting to work out, like, what parts of my behaviour are utterly determined. I'm not saying, of course, that I have no agency or free will but simply in understanding my lack of agency and free will, I feel just as an individual, right? Feel um, a bit better. A bit, a, bit, a bit freer and, you know, sometimes you would joke with friends, you see the world in a state of shit and you look in, well, what I regard as a proxy war in Syria 
and you see the devastation. And then if you're maybe a little attuned to the information in that area, you're like also pissed off because you know that they're telling a false story. And you, you, I mean, you know, just like pick a fucking war zone, pick any one of the one, one billion starving people on this planet, pick people in your own life. I mean, there are a lot of people yeah. whose lives have been made mean uh, and hungry, but it's, it's not fucking working. Yeah. But I think that's the thing, though, about Marxism is it's, it's that ultimate combination of being able to, what Marx and Engels and all of the Marxists since then have wanted to try to explain to people is why is capitalism so fucked up? What is it about it as a mode of production that makes it bad for human beings? But we don't just stop there. And I think that's the thing that makes it okay to be alive. It sounds a bit whatever. I'm not having an existential crisis right now. But I think that Marxism. But you do. I mean, every now and then, of course, you a- have anyone that sense does of, a, of approaching a hard limit of thinking the climate, you know, the enhanced homophobia, yeah. the enhanced and racism. Rosa the, Luxemburg said it a hundred years ago. Socialism or barbarism, but. It's, I love that. It goes beyond that because that's it, our ch- that's our choice. Whether you want it or not, that's our fucking choice, right? Yeah, and like, I think see that, it play out in Europe. That for me, why you don't just end up being a nihilist and getting depressed because you look at capitalism and think it's shit. Because the flip side of that is that there is the potential in humanity to live in a totally different way, and it has been done before. There's been collective societies before, and it can be done in again in the future and indeed it's the only way that the planet will stay alive and we'll all have generations of human beings being able to live in the future. And and it relies on the mass participation of ordinary people to get that done, to make that change possible. So you can't just give up on people and hate people and Mm. think that everyone's shit. There's a selfish perspective too that you can bring to it if you're one of those people that suspects that, you know, we all care chiefly about ourselves and, hey, you may have a point. A lady I know, her business is called Blonde Tiger. It's a one-woman business and I first met her when she was doing my nails, just giving me some nail art, right? Um, Erin is a very bright person and kind of like, you know, she's instinctively drawn to Marxist ideas. About seven years ago she called me up and she said, do you know this guy? She's American. I won't try to do the accent. Do you know this guy called Zizek? And I was like, yeah, Zizek, yeah. And, um, you know, and she'd sort of really been exploring it, but her kind of like selfish rationale for wanting a socialist society is like, I can't deal with the guilt of knowing others are having a shit time. (laughs) I don't want to walk over your homeless body. And I thought that that was quite a, um, you know, um, an interesting case for the, the, for for also the, 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 the the selfhood um, uh, that can assert itself in, Marxism, because, you know, you get that, um, I think it can be a useful argument is all I'm saying. It's like, I don't want to say I care deeply about all of the people on the planet. Mm. Anyone can fucking say that. Like, it's easy, you know? And to a degree, I think we all do, right? Like, yeah. Like, when we hear of another person suffering, unless there's something a bit broken for whatever reason in us, we feel pain for them, you know? Like, compassion is something that, you know, people always talk about there being this compassion shortage. Um, uh, uh, Obama famously talked about the compassion deficit. Yeah, because capitalism fucking drums it out of you. But it's it, but I mean, it's still there. That's no, the that's the miracle it, that people sure. still have that under capitalism that yeah. they still and there's an instinct I think 
towards solidarity. That's why there's a bloody GoFundMe to send pizzas to the teachers on strike in West Virginia. Is there? There was, and it raised thousands of dollars, and they've had too many pizzas because people all across America put in money to send them pizzas on the picket line to feed the kids at the schools who weren't getting their free school lunches. That's what happens. And that's what happens when people move and they start to do something about it. It's infectious. And if you would like to consider the way you and others might move in the future um, and, and toward what, I recommend a good dose of the old fucking Carl. Um, you can get some in a casual way. And remember to email us for your free <laughs> ticket to Marxism 2018. If you're still there, H- H- Helen at bad, email. H- Helen at badhostess.com. Just, a, you know, just tell me where you want to go really and, and Ros will arrange one. Thank you so much for your, your time, which I know under, under this uh, divisive and punitive system we have is also money. Why must we equate the two? Um, But thank you so much. Pleasure. You've been listening to Knackers and the Vag with Roz Ward. Brought to you by an ongoing critique of capitalism, utility shorts, and a few beers. See all of them this Easter weekend at Marxism 2018 in Melbourne, Australia. Australia.